Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood coming up. If you like what you hear, go to redsearadio.org, click on the donate button, and become a monthly sustaining member. Please support us. Thank you, and God bless. Welcome. You uh, you know what that means. You are listening to the mystery of parenthood. And um, before we get started on this great show, we'll um, start with our prayer. So, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity. Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. All right, yeah, uh, the all that love and life stuff we're going to be talking about today, um, where we're, this is an extension, I think um, we started on this uh, apostolic exhortation from Bishop Thomas Olmsted from Phoenix that's to husbands and wives, and we went through the introduction, and today, daddies, we're getting to go through, this, I guess, the first main section, uh, which is on the nature of the family, and... Um, it's titled The Nature of the Family, A Garden, Not a Jungle. Yeah, it's a neat image. Yeah, garden, it really is. not a jungle. I, I liked that. That, that re- caught my attention immediately. Well, I think, um, it, I think it's true because and it's part of like what we've, we always talk about being purposeful and, and having kind of a plan. Right. And the idea, because I know that things can get busy and you can get to where your family becomes more like a jungle because I've been there. I mean where you kind of everything's dictating everything to you and you don't you you lose some semblance of control and it starts becoming just reacting and it and there doesn't seem to be any order or not as much order as you know and you can get out of control so if you're there no you can always come back it is like a a garden it can get overgrown with weeds and all kinds of things that don't belong um but we still, with the help of God's grace, the grace of the sacrament of holy matrimony, we have that grace to actually pull out those weeds and trim back those bushes and, and prune what needs to be pruned. And I, I do like the image because a garden doesn't accidentally happen. Mm-hmm. That's right. And, and because there's stuff planted, it's got to grow. But then as it grows, you can't just let it grow because we, everything, every other thing that wants to grow, some of it good, a lot of it bad, things that will actually harm the ability for the plants to produce fruit, um, get in the way. So I think it's a really good image. Yeah. It's, it's an image that I liked for, um, another, another reason, because when I read that a garden, not a jungle, what I immediately thought about before I read the the little story that he includes with it, I immediately thought of the law of the jungle. And I thought of the, you know, the, the kind of older, um, like the social Darwinist attitude of the survival of the fittest. Yeah. That's not what the family is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this, this vicious, um, all against all. I'm only in it for myself. I'm going to, you know, look out for number one and get the most out of it for myself that I can. It's really supposed to be 
a law of love. And that's that's what, what guides a lot of what Bishop Olmsted has to say in this section. Absolutely. And I think that fits in so well with what you said about gardens being planned. You know, gardens are labors of love right. by the gardener. If you've ever grown one, it takes a lot of work. It's not just plant it and <laughs> it go. Really I mean, I, I remember when we did one with the kids, I mean, to get to get the whatever that thing is to break up the ground. And, and, a rototiller. Uh, a rototiller. Holy moly, I almost killed myself with mm-hmm, that thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to, to break that ground up, to get it nice, to go and get fertile soil, which I went and got from a friend who had a garden that mm-hmm. that, that, that he let me have some mm-hmm. that he'd been working on for years to plant it there. So there's so many images that I think mm-hmm. fit with what a, a family's meant to be. Yeah, and, and it, it brought back to me memories of my own father, you know, when I would be... Um, you know, getting getting corrected, getting guided, um, him saying, I'm not raising you to be a weed. Right. I'm raising you to be a strong oak tree. Right. And a weed just you just let a, you just let a weed grow up and and then you eventually snuff it out when you don't have any when when you need to get rid of it. Well absolutely. And, There's so many again the images like you need you're growing anything there's pruning that has to go on. Right. I mean, it actually helps the produ- to produce the fruit. Right. If exactly. you just let it go on its own, it may produce the fruit. And if you tend around it, it's fine. But sometimes it's wise or to cut off something, mm-hmm. which I imagine if you were a plant, it might hurt a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but so I think there's so many images that 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 are kind of tied into that view. And so I thought it was interesting because he was. Because and I think this is the way it it can be, and I and I have heard plenty of parents before. That, you know, I'm gonna let my kids decide. I'm gonna let them become whatever, and that's kind of how this whole thing begins. Because I think it's he was pointing. They were talking about the nature of the soul, and he and he re- recounts this story. I, it could have happened. I'm if if he was making it up, it certainly probably has happened before. Right. But this conversation where you know a person was saying is it's best to leave children to their own decisions and that the reason that everything's all messed up is there's too much intervention by parents and society. And that if we just let kids grow free without any limitations or, um, restrictions, um, or guidance, even it sounded like, and so the, the story goes is that the, the, the old man who was arguing that, no, the parents need to be involved, walked him out into the backyard saying, you want to see my garden? Um, apparently, when he walked out there, he, he knew that his backyard not only didn't look like a garden, it had, it had not been kept very well. It sounds like it was a junk heap. It was a junk heap in the backyard, not mowed, everything everywhere. And the guy says, this isn't a garden. And basically, you know, it's a mess. And he said, basically, it's that that's an uncultivated yeah, he, child. Yeah, I mean, the philosopher elder says, just like the uncultivated soul, my young friend. Right. So it, it points to the fact that we have to be, as parents, we have to be purposeful. We have to actually understand what our, well, first off, what the family is and what it's based on. And then what does that mean as parents with our children how do we go about doing it? But mm-hmm. it does involve pruning. It does involve direction. It does involve order, all the things that would be part of a garden. So, right. And then the very next paragraph, he plants his flag very boldly. And it, I mean, it's it's a kind of a call to, to arms that the family has a nature. That is, it has a given meaning, structure, and goal. Like a rose bush or a rhinoceros, and even more like a garden, the family does not invent. I thought that was yeah, very that was important that yeah. he, that's italicized there, does not invent, but receives its God-given reality as a gift, that which it tends toward when it has the conditions necessary for thriving. And, you know, you know immediately what he's speaking to there when he says it does not invent itself. So we do not reinvent the meaning of marriage and we do not reinvent the meaning of what a family is. The family is a man and a woman right. bound to one another for the creation of life and for the the, um, the loving care of, of the spouses. 
and that's and that's again allowing God to be God and and us to be <laughs> His children. Mm-hmm. You're receiving it as a gift, and then, like any gift, if it's a toy or whatever, it's meant for something, and it's has instructions and things that it's supposed to do when it operates the way it's supposed to that toy or that gift then it's being what it is you know being what it's supposed to be and you're not re, you're not reinventing it you're using it as it's supposed to be I, in this world somehow that there seems to be this sense that anytime there's a restriction that somehow we're becoming less human and that's not true our freedom is freedom to do things the way that they were meant to be, to do what we ought to be, right. to do what we ought to do. Freedom is not laissez-faire, carte blanche, do whatever you want to do, which tends to be the reigning definition in today's culture, that freedom means whatever. I can be whoever I want. I can do whatever I want to do. And I can invent myself. I can invent my family mm-hmm. as opposed to I'm receiving it is a gift and following the instruction manual, so to speak, this is what it's meant to be. And then working with God, being cooperators with God in that, which, you know, again, you know, starts as, I mean, it starts as what happens when a, when a child is born, right? I mean, we talk, I think that was one of the things, I don't know if you had something else, but the reality is, I think he goes pretty much right into that. Yeah, let's go, let's go into that. I mean, then in the, in the understanding of the church is that, that obviously biologically a, a male and a female coming together, a sperm and an egg coming together are what conceives a child, the matter but we believe and are taught by the church that the soul is something that is given, <laughs> created by God and put inside that living matter. So, again, that in and of itself speaks to the fact that it's a cooperation. He doesn't do it outside of that. He doesn't create a soul that's just free-floating. <laughs> I mean, he's cooperating. Okay, these two people have come together in this union, and that union is resulting in a in a child and I'm going to cooperate with them by providing a soul for that child. It's not like you said I think you were talking about you know does he pick it out of a box and and do it. No, I mean created means it's out of nothing. Um anyway, I don't know what else. Yeah, and I I think it it's just always important to stop and pause again at the tremendous uh, love that that God has for His human creation, that He makes them co-creators in bringing forth new life. He He is being itself. He is the maker of of all things. And if He wanted to uh, have the divine spark, you know, come into being um, in some other in some other form, He He could. If He if He wanted to have the divine um, nature of the the that part of ourselves that's made in the image and likeness of him come to be in us in some other way than at the moment of conception he could but he chooses to make that one flesh union of the the man and the woman a a divine moment right him it's a it's a little well, it's a little reflection of of the incarnation every time a, a child is is conceived. Well, it's I mean it's a couple of things with regard to that. The the fact that he's became incarnate and chose to be conceived in the womb of a woman um, speaks to the fact that this is part of his plan from the beginning. The fact that he was born right. into a family with a father and a mother. I mean, a person that functioning Saint Joseph functioning as the father. Uh, in a human sense, mm-hmm. um, not not in a biological sense, but in a human sense, he's he's saying this is the way it's meant to be. So right. he's just reaffirming what has happened throughout. And the reality is, he created Adam and Eve from 
dirt. He could do that multiple times. I mean, he could have chosen to do that, which shows us, which is very Catholic teaching, that we're meant to cooperate. We're meant to work with him. We're, 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 he does not want to, he doesn't distance himself from us and just free, y'all do whatever you want to do. He, he wants to engage us in his creation. He wants to engage us in, you know, the creation of human beings who are, are born. And that's, that just, again, points to the fact that he could have done lots of things. He could have chosen to save us another way, but he, but he came in a family. He came through a, a normal, well, not a normal from conception, but, but, but he came from normal means into a, what looked like a normal family, right. and he lived a normal life, um, certainly for the first 30 years or so of his life. I mean... Um, he was pretty much, I mean, if you'd go back and talked about it before, would you go back to the way they received him back in this town after he'd started his ministry? They're like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm who's this guy? Think who's this guy I think he is. I mean, he's just a carpenter. I mean, I've seen him, right? you know, so there was nothing spectacular about him or where he came from, which is good news for us because most right, of us right. are like that. I mean, he, so I think we have to look at the incarnation that way. But we also need to look at the fact that God creates them in our in His image, male and female. He creates them from the, well, one from the dirt and one from the rib, but then also, you know, uses forms something around to create Eve, and that He made them male and female. And I think He also He gets into talking about the fact that, and that and again, as Christians. From the beginning of time, there is a great sense of humanity is important. It, it, it's it, the way we're made and how he made us is a way of him communicating through visible signs, through which is exactly what marriage is. It's a sacrament. Through visible signs, something about himself, you know, like in that prayer, and it, it's referenced here that love and life are meant to always be together. Love is not something that um, is meant to be separated from life. Love kind of overflows into life. And I think, you know, from a theology of the body standpoint, he Bishop Olmsted talks about, you know, picture the what we understand to be the Trinity as God has revealed himself as father, son, and Holy spirit, that he's revealed himself as a family. I think, right. I think, um, father, I'm not father. Scott Hahn talks about, about that, uh, early on about how it's communion of persons. So from, from God's revelation of himself, God is love. That's what love looks like. Love is this complete, self-gift and that that love naturally overflows when it's what it's supposed to be into life. And if in a very general sense, that's why what it means to be created in his image, that male and female, he created them. Um, so he could have created where one person could reproduce. I certainly there are, I think there are even animals that, mm -hmm. that are able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, so he could have done that. He didn't. Um, he could have done it. I think there's a point here that I think you brought up, which is very unlike the animals. Yeah. I wanted to go to that he, point next. Yeah. yeah so, uh, but unlike animals, um, humans by design require way more. I mean, if you've ever watched like a horse be born, I mean, within hours, they're up and running. They're going, and they know where to go to yep. get food. And yep. I mean, it's almost instantaneous. They're, I mean, they're still vulnerable, but but they're somewhat self sufficient. Mm -hmm. Whereas a baby, in both in the womb and for months, they're not able to do anything. Yeah, if, let me jump in there too. Also, you see in the animal kingdom that offspring, if that offspring is um, deformed, is weak. If it if it can't survive, if it can't keep up with the herd, if it's um, 
if the mother can sense that it's not going to make it, you know, the, the mother will push the bird out of the, out of the nest or it will stop feeding the, the, the baby right. animal because it's not, it, it's a, it's a drain on the, the resources of the, of the herd or the, the family or whatnot. And that is not a human. That's not a human instinct. Right. I mean, and so we we do to care for the, to care for the vulnerable to do everything that's that we can to to care for those who are weak, um, physically deformed, mentally um, deformed, um, and, and that's a great we difference. do that and right. That's a and huge, a great, it's an enormous difference. And there's plenty in this world, and there was for, I mean, millennia from probably since man has existed an argument that looks at nature and says, well, that's what it should be. So we should get rid of the, the weak ones, right. the not the, smart the law, ones. The jungle, the, the right. Law, right. And, then, and they say that's how it should be done. But we know from Revelation, that's not what. The vulnerable are meant to be taken care of and, and simply because they exist, because the child has come into existence, is by itself enough because they're created in the image and likeness of God as well. It's enough to say we should do everything we can to help the vulnerable. Yeah, and I, I don't want to get off too too much. too much of our topic, but I think it 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 does enter in here that um, why abortion is such a deceptive uh, solution, but such a popular solution to this seeming yeah. feeling of. I can't, I can't take on this new life because by killing the child in the womb, that, the, that, that, the humanity of the, of that child doesn't have to be faced in the same way that infanticide requires right. it. You know, it, killing the child after it comes out of the womb is a whole different ball game facing the, the, the ending of that human life, that innocent human life as opposed to uh, abortion, which happens before right. so it's born. So the, you know, the, the, the measure that is used often is it's a draining of resources or an inability, a perceived inability of somebody to not be able to take care mm-hmm. of them. And therefore, because they can't, there's no room for them, mm-hmm. which is, which is a law of the jungle. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's not what is intended. There's a great image he talks about, and he, he talks about the, for a child to come into existence, the the mother and, and really the father too must make space for them, yes. be free to make space for them. Yeah. And I've never actually seen that term used, but it, it jumped out to me um, that we have to make space and we have to know that there's going to be work involved. You know, there's going to be things that we have to give up if we're going to do it. And again, that speaks to, again, one of the issues that happens is I think in this contemporary society and probably really probably forever, there's a sense of when you have six kids or five kids or anything more than what you, you know, planned that, well, you're going to have to give up this, uh, these other things, you know, and, and there's a very selfish kind of I need to protect my space as opposed to open up to make space uh, they're imposing upon me <laughs> and I, I just think it's a, it's it's a very much a they're at odds with one another can you can you go back in time for us uh, just briefly about you know when you guys discovered that you weren't going to be having um, a fourth child oh, you're going to be having a fourth a fifth, fifth and, and a sixth, sixth. And, what? and how that maybe fits into to some of this? Well, I think, you know, it, it, I remember, you know, and it, this kind of speaks to it. I mean, of course, you know, the, the poor doctor, or maybe not so poor, you know, when we found out that we're sitting in this room together and, you know, Steph's giving me coloring books and candies and she's like, okay, candy's the last resort, but we're all going to go in this room together. And so it's me and Trevor, who's five, and Madison, who's three, and and Grayson, who's a little over one, and he's checking to see if we're having twins. That was 
that was the uh, the thing. Well, okay, so y'all were expecting maybe you were going to have twins. Well, she was measuring large, and he said, "Let me check." Okay. And he said, "Twins." So, so he he goes in and he does the ultrasound, and 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 the um, and, and this kind of speaks. This whole story kind of speaks to a lot of things about the the differences uh, between. So. He does it, and he kind of finishes and says, well, it looks like you're having twins. So we didn't think twice about it. He walks out, and he comes back in, and he says, you know, recently I missed triplets, so let me go back and look again and <laughs> and, and, and see. And he did. He, had, I mean, literally, there were triplets. We know them. that They didn't know they were having triplets until the three were birthed. They're, wow. they're actually good friends. The kids are good friends to this day. They lived around the corner as teenagers and played football together and stuff. So um, they're just a year older or great ahead of them. But anyway, so he comes back in and, and he looks and it, you know, I'm not very good at reading those, but it gets to one point where you can see three heads. I mean, you can see three and, and before he says anything, he literally lays his hand on Stephanie and puts his head down on the examining table, like his forehead. And he goes like with his head down, goes, there are three in there. What are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> so the response of Stephanie was was priceless. She said, "Well, I have three healthy children, you know." <laughs> and then, and then, so he's like, "I, I, I mean, I don't know how you're going to do it. I mean, because he could see how inept I am handling the the other three behind him." And um, and Stephanie, while the doctor's in there, says. Hey, did y'all hear that? Where there's triplets in there, and so he's just said, "What are you can do?" You can tell he's so. Trevor, our oldest, who's five years old, Steph says, "Did you hear that? There's three in there." And Trevor blurts out, "We're the luckiest family in the world." Oh, that is awesome! <laughs> so in that little room, you saw the childlike response which we tried to do which we had so stephanie guys we got home we're like unbelievable and, and we're sitting there and stephanie said you know what i had already convinced myself that i could handle twins <laughs> i know i can't handle triplets on top of the other three so she said that was you know god's way of saying you, you're gonna have to trust me on that but it, but but as you can imagine having the two different types of views the view, which I think is probably consistent with adult secular that was being echoed by, because he was dumbfounded. I mean, like, no, I mean, I don't know what he was expecting her to say. And then you had the childlike faith and we're the luckiest family in the world. Yeah. And in the same room, but you can see how they kind of, but because I'm sure his response is, well, you're a five-year-old kid. What do you know? Right. But in reality, what it was, was us and him realizing that this is something that God's done not and so again receive it as a gift so there's a there's two ways of looking at it you know you can look at it and say okay how can I do this how can I do that there's no way I can do the handle that many which is a very human not sacramental sense that God is involved in our lives Versus the the other side, which is that this is a gift. So if he's given us three, we must be able to handle. It. I mean, I you know I think I've told this story before, but probably six months into to it, as you might imagine, there's you know six, four and a half, two, and a bunch of six months old, three six months old. So not a whole lot of help <laughs> in in that thing. <laughs> And, and Stephanie looks at me on the way out and says, you know, we, we can't handle this. I mean, this, this is out of control. We can't handle it. And me being the theologian, you know, said, of course we can. God doesn't give us anything that we can't handle. And this gets back to exactly what we're talking about, this cooperation. And, you know, Stephanie didn't go, oh, I'm so glad you reminded me of that. Duh. I totally forgot. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, you're so brilliant, Trey. <laughs> she stopped. Anytime a Cajun woman gets quiet, get ready. Because <laughs> she was dead. And I was like, okay, what, what's going to come out next? And all that came out was, 
well, then we're not handling it. And that gets back to, I think, the essence of what we're talking about here. We had received it as a gift. We have to trust that God's grace is doing it, and he's active in making the, these decisions. But she was bringing up the point that we got to be cooperators with it. So what she was saying is, okay, I'll trust that he's going to provide, and I'll trust even what you say, that he's not going to give us anything we can't handle. But we've got to do some things with with that. And it was then about that time that we started maybe being way more proactive as opposed to this about, okay, how are we going to handle this? I mean, what are we going to do? So we began to cooperate with God instead of just taking one moment. I mean, you're taking one moment at a time, but kind of letting it unravel in front of us, actually saying, okay, we trust that God has done this, but we have to do something. So what do we need to do to make this more manageable? And the answer is not get rid of one of the kids or or downsize. Uh, I mean, the answer is, we need to be purposeful. We need to think about what are we doing? Why are we doing this? What's important f- for them? And that was a that was a a moment in our marriage at that thing that that really for me kind of solidified this idea that I think he's getting at here that it's all it's this cooperation. It's not just like a blind faith that just says, "Okay, he's going to take care of everything." I mean, he is, but he's going to always do it with us. Be fruitful and multiply. Till the land. I mean, even from the beginning, he was saying, you know. He brought the life into the world with us, and so he's going to continue to raise the life right. with us, or we need to raise the life up right. with him. And I think and I think that, I don't know if there's any more you want to do, but there's a, there's a point in here. It's one of my favorite lines. Um I think it's bef- it's before this. Um, he quotes from the catechism, and it's talking about how the child is actually for the welfare of the parents, which people don't mm. people don't always think that way. That as part of his design, it's for the welfare of the parents. The children come into existence. That, yeah, that's, that's so really counter- counterintuitive. Counterintuitive, and it's counter-cultural Cultural. for sure. Um, but it is it is clearly what the church teaches with regard to um, with regard to that. And I think it's worth bringing up. Well, how does it for the welfare of the parents? Well, here it is, and this is where the battles fought. The battles fought on embracing it as a gift and saying, I've got to do it. Well, what does that mean? That means that maybe there's a football game that I would have normally watched, but a baby's sick or mom needs help or whatever. I need to stop that, which, which by the way, is is why God invented TiVo. But <laughs> That's what it really comes down to, folks. That's, right, that's from the catechism. That is from the catechism. <laughs> yeah. but, but I guess my point is, is that you – it's counterintuitive, but I know it to be true. We always tell when we, we do marriage prep stuff and talk to talk to kid to kids, and you don't hear it as much as you did, or you know, a few years back. But you know, we're going to take some time and get to know each other before we have kids. You know, we're going to do all this stuff to get to know each other. And Stephanie, you would always come back and say, "You, you will never know your spouse until you raise children together." Yeah, that's you true. Will ne- you will never know what they're capable of, what they're lacking, <laughs> until you're raising kids together. Because what does a kid do? It makes you give up things that probably aren't that important in real life. Mm-hmm. It makes you become more and more conformed into the image of Christ, more and more self-sacrificing, and more and more joyful, honestly. And that's the counterintuitive thing, <laughs> is... It, Many people think that the more you have, the the worse your life will be. I'm not saying that everybody, not, not everybody's called and not everybody can have. I'm not saying, and the church doesn't say, you must have as many children as you, as you can possibly have. It, it, yeah, it doesn't even That's say not, you must have at least this many it, and... It doesn't, it doesn't matter, but such. again, it's a, they're a gift. So one's a gift, six is a gift. I talked to a guy the other day. He's got 16 kids. I mean, St. Catherine of Siena, 25. Right. I mean, it's, but to see them and receive them as a gift, there's a Christian worldview. 
and it's truly Christian. And there's some Christian that, that, that don't see things this way, but it is a Christian worldview to see if God's given you that gift, then it's for your good, not just for the good of the child. It's, it's to actually help you get rid of the extra baggage that you don't need to have there. And that's what the battle is, particularly the, particularly the husband's. The battle is, well, you know, I can't hunt like I used to, or I can't go fishing as much as I used to, or, you know, I can't go hang out with, you know, all those type of things. And so it's all about what I'm giving up. But the reality is the great joy in life, the great joy of parenthood, you know, try it. You might be surprised you'll like it, is if you give up, you know, if you lose your life, you'll actually gain it. The joy comes in unexpected ways in ways that are counter to the way most people are raised the way this culture would raise them it's not about protecting me it's not about what's in it for me it's about what can i give and then when i receive a gift my job is to give back to that gift so anyway and that goes right to you know how he gives the definition from saint thomas aquinas of love that right. love is willing the good of another Love is one person willing the best, the good for another, for the other's sake. And you do that with your spouse, but you do it to an even more profound degree and much more noticeable degree with your, with your children that you, 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 you have to, you have to reprioritize yourself. You have to do without things, go without things, sacrifice, make sacrifices of time, make sacrifices of, you know, material um, goods for them. Right. And that, and, and that, that ends up that, and that's what that, that opening up of yourself, that stretching of yourself, that giving away of yourself, that is for your good. It makes you more Christ-like. Right. And, and while it, it can be a struggle, I mean, I always go back, I say, I'll never, I, I, I don't think I ever want to go back and rewind and do it again, but I would never change anything. I mean, I wish, you know, there's things I'm like, sometimes I wish I didn't have to worry about the, the money or whatever, which I'm not supposed to worry about anyway. But, but, but when the option is what, you know, let's, redo our life and get rid of would knowing these children as they've grown up they're a joy just to be around they're a joy and to have raised them and now see them you know the youngest are 19 now i mean that was that conversation was 19 years ago yeah it's amazing to think about where you are with your your triplets you know they, right. they've graduated they're they're off to college it's amazing to look at that and then think about the doctor saying what are you going to do? do? I mean, right. You and all, and you it all is did. not like it's you all not, did it. Well, it's not, I mean, uh, we're, we're still, still a work in progress, but the, but the reality is, is that you can look and you can say, okay, I mean, from a worldly perspective, I mean, they're going to have to do student loans. You know, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I don't have enough money to be able to put four kids through college. That is worth, I, I don't, I, I understand that, you know, there may be some, People out there would say that's well, it's not responsible. That's not whatever. Well, I would say, okay, I did everything I could. I've cooperated as much as I know how to, and our focus has been on the kids. So no, they didn't get. They don't. None of them have ever had their own car. You know, when everybody, you know, they're going to get them a car. No, they're going to deal without a car. I mean, mm-hmm. so I mean, there's those are sacrifices that they end up having too. But whenever I think about it, I, I mean. What's one of them having a car versus them being together? I mean, we spent last night with the triplets eating dinner, and it was kind of our last mom and dad with the triplets dinner at home, and then we played a game before the triplets went over and spent the night with with Kingsley. They spent the night together because it was the last night they were going to be together. So kind of like they were in the womb, they went and stayed in her room together. (laughs) And I mean – but wow. there was such there's such joy there. Yeah. And so like, you know, from a purely resource standpoint, you could sit here and go, Well, I wish I could have done this, I wish I could have done that. But the reality is 
I'm sitting there with those kids and, you know, I wouldn't trade anything. I wouldn't do hardly anything differently. All right. Now here, a little comic relief here. Right. I'm going to put you on the spot. Does Trevor still stand by his initial statement as a five-year-old that, gosh, we are the luckiest family I, in the world so to have I, so these I three it, siblings? As well, I, yeah, the answer is yes. Okay. But I, you know, I I think he's going through the well. It's okay for you, but I'm not sure it's okay for me because uh-huh. he's he's at the stage which I remember of because right, he's married, I can newly, be contra- married, newly married, and and you know he's he's a like his dad. You know, well not I mean in some ways like his dad. He's super detail oriented and knows where everything is, but he's got a plan. You know, and so like I always said, I'll tell him. Friend, I said, you know, you're gonna need to be flexible. I don't know what's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. But your plan's not going to work out exactly like you, you want it. I mean, I don't know what what the wrench in the thing's going to be, but at some point um, you're going to learn and be confronted with this. But the cool thing is, is that to this day, especially the older children, but Trevor's come back and said, "Dad, I don't know how you and Mom did it. I, I'm so grateful to you for the way." you raise the family and you know we've talked about the trust god do good and we act and grayson called me in tears because he's now 21 and he kind of knows what it is to not have money he's a he's a he's a student that's going to work and realizing oh i don't have enough money in my bank account to do this or do that and he hears here's a story which he said i've heard that story hundreds of times and he goes but he goes y'all are my heroes because I would, I, I know what that's like in just me by myself. And I can't imagine the fear. And she, and he goes, we never knew that as kids, we had no clue. And even when you told the story of, of not having enough money, it never struck me until just now that that's, that that's the case. And so again, I think that springboards maybe into, the, I mean, I don't know what, where you wanted to go from here, but I think the idea of to love, well, I, I think actually the, go to the C.S. Lewis quote, we're getting towards, towards the end here, but I, I love the fact that C.S. Lewis effectively says... You want to read that quote? I'll read the quote. It says, you know, <laughs> he says, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in the casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternate, the alternative to tragedy or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. And if I, if I did justice to the reading, what he's saying is if, you know, the only way you can protect yourself, love's risky. And love means being open to a broken heart. Love means... I could be hurt. Love means I might have to give up something that I think I want. And I never heard it put that way, but that's C.S. Lewis, one of the great Christian writers, not, not even a Catholic writer. I mean, but a Christian writer that's being quoted here, but it points us to this sense that if you love, there are going to be difficulties that's exactly what the cross says. The one who is love, who loved us so much, he had to go or chose to go through the cross itself for the sake of the good of us that we might get to heaven. So everything about life says if you love, it's going to hurt. But it's also going to be joyful. Yeah, I, I, I think it's worth bearing out there that, you know, he he goes. Bishop Olmsted goes into the the four right characteristics of of marriage: free, 
total, faithful, and fruitful. Oftentimes forever is is thrown in there as well, put in there as well. And your, your comment about the cross, we have to remember that, how did Christ end up on that cross? I mean, he... he he accepted it. it was a, it was free. He freely accepted it. But how did he? What were the human machinations that put him on that cross? He was betrayed. He right. was betrayed. How many times are people um, is betrayal a part of of marriage? Right through through infidelity, for example. Right. And what 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 we're saying here is is even in that moment you have to. You have to find your way through even that terrible, terrible right. uh, offense to to love, to wanting the good of the other. Um, right. Th- that 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 other didn't want your good, but yet the commitment of marriage, that that one flesh union for the good of of the of the children and for the good of the spouses is to stay united right so free so free the first one points to the fact that that points to the fact that we do have free will and and we can make make a choice so we're not being coerced we're not being coerced to to marriage and we're not being coerced to stay in marriage i mean we are choosing freely to do that and it points to the fact that guess what you in giving freely, the other person has to accept your love freely and give back freely. Well, at that point, somebody can reject that, which is what happened on the cross—the rejection of that gift. Right, and right. that's what—and that's what causes suffering and pain. And that can happen: a husband leaving his wife, or not even sticking around to take care of the kids. There are crosses as a result of that. Um, all kinds of things that are happening are a rejection of a child as a gift, a rejection of a spouse as a gift, a, re- a saying no to something that you're meant to say yes to. <laughs> and anyway. And you, you come to number 37, and he quotes St. John Chrysostom, the love of husband and wife is the force that welds society together. I mean— Think about that quote. Take that quote in and apply it to modern Western societies that are riven with so many kinds of tensions and disunities and fraying allegiances and absolutely. Uh, and we see what the state of the of the family is. Right. Well, so I mean, the, what, what we don't. I think what happens, I, I don't, I think there's so much, because if you talk theologically or if you talk from the standpoint, what happens, it's like anything else, what happens in small cells magnifies itself. So, mm-hmm. and, and so what can I do as an individual to impact what's going on in the culture now? I can love my wife. I can raise my kids. <laughs> That's what I can do. If I choose not to, that's going to bear fruit, not just only or weeds or whatever, and not only in my family, but that's going to have an impact that kind of is a ripple effect. And so I think what's happening is, is the family's as mar- Okay, uh, this is one thing I wanted to point out that I think was good. He talks about marriage as being the foundation of the family, but then family being the foundation or the or the smallest cell. Of that, and that points us to John Paul II would say That's the right. you know the the plight of or the future of society is found in the where where we find families, and that extension. I think we tend to think, okay, it's just my little world, it's just me, but it, it points to what sin does: sin, a rejection of a good that was intended to be received, for example, or a rejection of a truth that was meant to be embraced, always ends up causing division. So I I think what's happening is as as families have become more divided and as the foundation, if marriage is the foundation, we're, we're living the fruit of that today. The answer is for families to live 
this reality to live. We're meant to be icons of the Trinity. We're meant to show what love really is, which is not looking out for myself, but looking out for the other, for the sake of the other. And that's how we impact it. I mean, we can go and vote and, and that's all important. And I think instilling that, that vision in our, in our children that, Hey, you know, you you go out and make this commitment too and you hold the line and you can you can renew the society in which you live in this is the most real way that you can renew it right because i mean you know so what can i do and be heard, for the good of other people what can i do right and talking to the kids well you know what you can do is embrace this accept where you are as you in your family as a gift as your children your spouse whatever and and live that out to the best of your your vocation out that's the best way to impact it because again it ripples if people have grown up not understanding that marriage is meant that no fathers around then they don't understand they've been a bad icon a, a, a false icon of who god is if god's revealed himself as father well my father's never been around then everything starts falling apart Mm -hmm. and we're just, I think at a point where that's happening. So anyway, I, um, we didn't get through all the way through this, but we we got pretty, we got pretty, pretty pretty well well through it. I I think that maybe we'll just do real quickly. We'll do Ephesians five. If, uh, Ephesians five would be great. We're right here at the end Ephesians five and do, um, Verse 32, this is a great mystery, and I mean in reference to Christ and the church. I think that that's, go back and read that, and and uh, it'll challenge you to recognize that relationship that is a bride and a groom, yes. the church and Christ. So anyway, always remember, uh, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you, and I promise you will. God bless you guys. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. Bye.